Our study of God's Big Ten brings us today to the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. Dave begins our discussion on stealing with a concrete example any graduate will identify with. What does every teen want to get for graduation? Suzanne got her wish, but then she experienced her worst nightmare. What to her wondering eyes should appear when she woke up and she walked out into the driveway? There was a brand new pickup truck. A brand new pickup truck. Man, she couldn't believe it. She went running in, and man, her father threw her the key and says, Honey, I love you. I never thought I would do it, but I did. And he gave her a brand new car. Well, Suzanne had to make a rush trip up to uh, mall, and uh, she got up there. And she parked her car. She used the automatic lock. In fact, she wasn't confident that the automatic lock worked. So she went to the doors around the other side of the truck and made sure the doors were locked. She ran into Penny's, checked with a salesperson. The person found her order right away. The dress had been altered. The fit was perfect. Man, she was going to look really stylish that night. She went running back out to the parking lot. She hadn't been gone 15 minutes. Are you sure you locked the truck? Yes, sure I locked the truck. She could barely get the words out. You're absolutely sure. You didn't leave the keys in the door. The policeman had gone through the run, you know, run of the mill, pulling, filling out uh, a stolen vehicle report. But as Suzanne's tears began to roll down her cheek, even this policeman that dealt with it every single day couldn't help but be moved and touched by the fact that here this innocent teenage girl on graduation day all the idealism and all the innocence come crashing down because her truck is stolen you know whether it's a stolen vehicle whether it's coming home to your house and finding out that your possessions have been have been vandalized in fact, people tell me that when their house has been robbed, that they're never the same again for a long time. In fact, I never had that happen. And so in counseling, when I've worked with someone like that, I just have to try to just listen real carefully because there's a feeling there that I've never experienced. But it's, it's one of the most devastating feelings that I think I've ever dealt with. When a person says, Every time I go in the dark of my home, I'm scared, I'm frightened, I feel like somebody violated me, because certainly our possessions are kind of an extension of ourselves. Do you know that the Lord God loved us so much that he knew whether someone stole answers from you on a test and cheating, or whether they snatched your purse, or whether they broke into your home, or whether they stole your truck? The Lord God of heaven that we're here to worship loves us so much that he gave us the right of our private possessions. Now, communism tried to take that right away. Karl Marx said that all the goods needed to belong to everybody. And so he initiated a system that had national governmental stealing. But I want you to know that as we sit here today, that the Lord God of heaven loves you enough that we've been learning in the Ten Commandments that this God that says, I want you to love me with all your heart, this God loves us with all of his heart, and he loves us so much that he wants to protect our families. So he wants us to honor our father and our mother. Both when we're children, we need to obey them, and when we're old, we need to take care of them. 
when they're old. We need to support them and take care of their needs and give them what is their due. And so the Lord loved us so much, he wants to protect our families. We went on a little bit further and found out that the Lord wants to protect our marriages. That he says, don't commit adultery. He wants to protect our marriages. He also wants to protect our lives. He says, thou shalt not murder. Today we come to the eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. And let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19. And what we're learning is that this Lord of love in these last five commandments is dealing with the way of love in our horizontal relationships. Stealing, losing your possessions, having someone break into your home, all the things that a robber does, these are the things that suck the happiness out of us. They destroy us, and the Lord knows that. And that's why in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19, we read the simple words, you shall not, you shall not what? Steal. You shall not steal. Very simple. It's repeated in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. Now, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything is established. When God is the witness that says that three times, we should get the idea, you should not steal. If God tells us three times in the Old Testament, in point-blank range, don't steal, we need to learn not to steal. Now we ask ourselves, well, what is he talking about? What kind of stuff is in the Old Testament does it talk about that was stolen? Well, you begin in the book of, you can look it back in your Bible, in Genesis chapter 44, verse 4. It tells us a story in Genesis chapter 44 of some Israelites that are down in Egypt. They are Joseph's brothers. Earlier in Joseph's life, they had done one of the last kind of stealing that we're going to talk about, which is kidnapping, which is stealing someone's life. But in chapter 44, Joseph accuses his brother. They don't know that he's, jo he's Joseph. They don't know that it's his brother. But Joseph, who they think is this ruler in Egypt, accuses his brother of doing what? They had a dinner party. And at the dinner party, there was all kinds of beautiful vessels that were out there. But Joseph had one very special cup. It was an Egyptian divining cup. And Joseph put that cup into Benjamin's sack and then, and Benjamin didn't know it, and when they took off back to go back to the land of promise, back to the land of Palestine, Joseph sent one of his servants out there, and he said, why have you stolen my cup? And what I want you to feel is, that gives you an idea of what this command means, thou shalt not steal. And it was a horrible thing, even with Egyptian morality, to contemplate someone that would have a meal with you and then steal from you. So there's an example of a stolen household item. Another example is when Laban, now this was probably a good theft because the stuff that she stole was, was bad news stuff anyway, but remember the story where uh, Laban had his gods stolen and his gods were taken away from him and so he chased after Jacob and said, why have you stolen, why have you stolen my household things? And so we have the word used of stolen things, household goods. We have stolen wages. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 13. You find it? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. Look what it says. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. You say, well, I wouldn't think of robbing my neighbor. I like the guy that lives next to me. Now, remember, we've learned in the past that a neighbor in the Old Testament isn't just the person that lives on either side of us. It's not even just the person that lives on our block. 
The word neighbor in the Old Testament stresses what we learned the last time we were together, that there's always a relationship between people. There's always connectedness. So what the writer is saying is that those you're connected with in business, in school, in life, in your neighborhood, don't defraud your neighbor. You say, well, how in the world would I ever do that? He goes on and tells us how we might do that. He says, do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Now, what is it saying? It's saying in the Old Testament, if you're a farmer, which most of the people were in the Old Testament, agriculture was the number one industry. What the writer says is that if you invite some people to come and haul hay in your field, which is something that as Texans will really identify with, and you promise those guys that are hauling hay in your field that when you leave tonight, I'll cover what you did for me today. What the writer says is when it comes that evening, don't tell them, well, you come back tomorrow. In other words, say so you can have a hook in him. You come back tomorrow and I'll pay you the first thing in the morning. He says, don't do that. That's defrauding your neighbor. You need to pay him that night, especially in the Old Testament culture, because they lived by a daily wage. They lived just day to day. And if a, if a person hired someone and they didn't pay them, that would mean that that person's family and that person themselves would go hungry. And so the book of Leviticus was very strong on don't defraud your neighbor. You say, what does that mean for us today? Well, many of you have been good examples. Many of our agricultural people and ranchers have been incredible examples of being really faithful in helping our young people. And when our young people do put those long hours in the fields and they haul hay, the pay comes through and they're given that check. And as a daddy that's had some sons that have done that, I can tell you that your check is very well appreciated by those young men. Maybe some of you girls want to get out there and haul hay as well. I also want to say that some of you are bosses. Some of you are employers, and you have many employees underneath you, or maybe just a few. What is this commandment telling you? It's saying that if you have people that work hard for you, that put in a hard day's work, you need to be sure that they are given a just compensation. If you're a born-again child of God, in order to fulfill this command, thou shalt not steal, we need to be salt and light in the marketplace that we are constantly thinking about those that are working underneath us. And we are very, very careful to be sure that they are given an adequate pay for adequate work. And that's what it means. Don't defraud your neighbor. Don't withhold wages. In other words, you say, well, man alive, if I just keep it another month, think of all the interest I can make. Don't do it. If it belongs to them, then they need to be given their wages now so they can get the interest. And the issue for us as born-again believers is not what's the best deal for us, how we can deceive people, but it's how we can be absolutely sure we're not stealing. Now, there's another kind of stealing. Many of us work for other people. In other words, we're not the employer, we're the employee. And what this command is saying, we can defraud our master. We can defraud the person that's paying our salary. You say, how do we do that? Well, when I worked construction, we worked by the hour, which I think is one of the worst ways to work it doesn't really motivate someone to get anything done, but in a lot of fields like construction, many times that's the only way that you can do it. 
But what was easy to do is, you know, just to start looking at your watch about 9.30. It was hot in the Texas sun and you needed a drink. So about 9.30, 10 o'clock, you just went and got a drink of water. And instead of just taking two minutes to get a drink of water, you just stretch the walk to the water tank and the walk back into five-minute jumps. That's stealing. You work with some people that when they're working by the hour, they're constantly looking at their watch, you know, trying to make sure. And then, you know, at the end of the day, especially on Friday, if you get to three-quarters of the hour, then you can leave because, man alive, you put in the hour. That's stealing. If you're a student, if you go away to college, even our high school students, even our grammar school students, your job right now is school. That's your job. Mom and dad, some of your mom and dads have jobs, but right now the kid's job is school. If you goof off, if you mess around, if you don't work, it's stealing. The tragedy of that is that you're defrauding yourself. You're defrauding your neighbor, but it's you, the neighbor, that you're defrauding. Because if you goof off all the way from first grade through to 12th grade, you're going to cut down all kinds of opportunities out there in the marketplace that could be available to you. And you broke this commandment. You stole. You were a thief. You stole time. You didn't use it the way you were supposed to do. And so this idea of defrauding our neighbor, defrauding ourselves, thou shalt not steal, can be thought of in much broader terms than just stealing a pickup truck from Redbird Mall's parking lot. So the Old Testament talks about not defrauding our neighbor, being sure that we pay just wages, being sure that we put in a very careful and a full day's work. The Bible talks a lot about stolen animals. In the book of Exodus, chapter 22, 1, 4, and 12, there's all kinds of verses that relate to having animals that were stolen. Look at Exodus, chapter 22, verse 1. It says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back. Five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. In the Old Testament, the stealing of an animal was a very serious offense. And if you did it, you needed to repay fivefold. You can look at some other verses there. Verse 4 and 12 speak about that. One of the worst forms of stealing in the Old Testament, in fact, it's probably the specific kind of stealing that the Ten Commandments have in mind. It's kind of the focus of this commandment, thou shalt not steal, and then we've broadened it out. But one of the worst forms of stealing in the Old Testament was kidnapping. Look at Exodus chapter 21, Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. It says, anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he's caught must be put to death. It shows you how serious a crime it was in the Old Testament for kidnapping to take place. You can all think of an example of someone who was kidnapped. Remember the example of Joseph in Genesis chapter 40 when his own brothers saw the Midianites coming. They took their brother out of the pit and they sold their brother for 20 pieces of silver. They sold him into slavery in Egypt. And years later, Joseph said, this is where in Genesis chapter 40 verse 15, when Joseph is reporting on that event, Joseph says this, I was stolen out of my household. He uses the word that's used here for stealing, for breaking this commandment. Thou shalt not steal. And kidnapping is one of the worst forms. I remember as a kid, my parents talking about when Lindbergh's son was stolen. You might remember when his son was kidnapped. And I never forget my parents telling me about, you know, the, the lone eagle being the first person to fly across the Atlantic. 
And then those tragic headlines about how one of his children was kidnapped. And it was one of the very first times in the American culture that just in a devastating way, uh, the whole nation was faced with, with the tragedy of a kidnap that ended in tragic death. God loves us so much that our kids should be able to walk freely, should be able to walk anywhere and go anywhere. But that's not so in our society. You say, why not? Because right now our society is in the, in the midst, in the midst of an anarchy and a rebellion against the kind of commandments that we're talking about. In fact, in the book of Jeremiah, it speaks about the kind of, of society that's very similar to our own. If you turn to Jeremiah chapter 7, you have a very interesting religious service going on. As the people came to church, they had a different greeter. It says in Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 1, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house. In other words, stand at the entrance of the Old Testament equivalent of a church building. Stand at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem. Now look what he proclaimed. Here's what people heard when they walked into the temple in Jeremiah's day. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and you do not shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place and the land I gave your forefathers forever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words, words that are empty and worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjure, perjury and burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe to do all these detestable things? Look what he says in verse 11. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Incredible words of impact. What the writer of Jeremiah, what Jeremiah himself, who wrote this book, is bringing our attention to, is the fact that we can gather together. We can be together, and we just sang several songs of our love for God. We're singing about how we love his name. We sing how we love to sing his praises. We're so glad that he's in our life. But I want to tell you something. The true God is here with us today. He says, if you stole this week, if you cheated on a test, it says if you were working on your income tax and you stretched it out a little bit too far, when you knew in your heart, your conscience said, that's really not a valid deduction, but they'll never find out. If you said they'll never find out and you stole a little bit, and then it's really easy to say, well, man, alive, the government's corrupt anyway. You know, I, I, everyone steals. If you did that, then the Lord says to us, don't think you can gather together as the body of Christ and think that I don't really know what's going on. And I really want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, because it begins with just little stealing, just a little tiny bit, just a little bit of cheating, a little bit of twisting what you know is right, stealing a few tools from your boss. 
Maybe just, you know, when you're going through a cafeteria line, sneaking a little more butter, just putting under your mashed potato. I'll never forget when I was in high school, the big story in our school that they told us every single year was this guy that was going to be a banker. And he was going to be the head of one of the biggest banks in the country. And he came through a whole morning of interviews and everything was going great. I mean, he had, was sure to be named the president of the bank by the board of directors. They went out for lunch, and they were going through the cafeteria line there in New York City, one of those, you know, push-button things, and then with a long thing. And one of the board directors saw this guy they were interviewing just shove a couple butters underneath his mashed potatoes. And that ended. He never got that position. If you'll steal with a little bit, I can't trust you with a lot. Because little things determine what we do with the big thing. And Jeremiah is a prophet of God that loves the people of God enough that he stands at this temple where the people are now coming in. They're saying, because we sing beautiful songs, because we express love for God, God doesn't really know that we didn't pay the alien that was among us. In other words, we hired an alien. And we'll have to say they hired him legally. But they hired an alien, and they didn't pay the alien a fair wage. In other words, they didn't give the alien what the alien was really due. The scripture says, as born-again believers, we should say, Father, this person's in a foreign land, and I need to be sure to cover the bases. I need to be sure to give them a fair wage. The Old Testament said, if there's needs within a community like orphans and widows, are two examples of people that might really need our care and our concern. It says that we're stealing if we don't meet those needs. And I want to really encourage you to bring blessing to others. And the scripture says that the Lord moves in our heart to meet the need of someone. And if we don't do it, that we're defrauding, that we're stealing. And so Jeremiah the prophet just cut through all this external religion and he faced this with the need for an authentic change of heart. And I think it's very important for believers, for evangelical believers, to recapture the heartbeat of this Old Testament prophet's message. He says, I want to see change of life. I want to see reformation in the way that you live. I want to see a difference in your ethics. I gave you a couple other references. Hosea chapter 4 speaks about the fact in Hosea's day, all the people were, were stealing, they were robbing, everyone was looking out for himself. The book of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 23 speaks about a real pressing need in our own society. We just can't get a handle on all these PACs, all these political action committees. We become cynical about our entire government because we think everyone's in it just for the money. Well, look at Isaiah Chapter 1, verse 23, and you'll see they had the same problem back in the Old Testament period. Isaiah 1, 23 says, your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. How were they companions of thieves? They all love bribes and chase after gifts. They do not defend the cause of the fatherless. The widow's case has not come before them. The modern equivalent of that is that money does control. Money does control. It can happen in a church. For example, in our own church family, I don't have the foggiest idea what any one of you give, and I don't want to know. You say, why not? Because money controls. I work with some pastors where they come into me, and I, and I say, well, tell me about your Sunday morning teaching schedule. 
And I'll look over their teaching schedule and I'll say, hey, you're, you're really not going through the Bible. You're not really teaching the people the word of God. There's whole areas of God's word that you've been there for five or ten years. There's whole areas of God's word that you haven't even touched. And the guy will kind of hang his head. He'll say, well, there's some things, if I know if I go verse by verse through different books of the Bible, there's some things that are really going to offend some people. And if I offend those people, I know what they give, and that's going to be the end of the whole ministry. It'll be the end of my job, and my kids will be hungry. That's defrauding. It's robbing God's people of the whole counsel of God. And it's defrauding from a congregation when there's that kind of manipulation with money. You don't think it can happen? It happens all the time. It happens politically. It happens religiously. It happens in business. And what I'm calling us to do is to allow the Spirit of God to move in our life so that we don't steal. Jesus Christ has come into our life so that when we're given a bribe, somebody tries to bribe us in business, somebody tries to push a deal through, we say no. No. I can't do this. And man, it's going to be a great deal. No one will ever find out. You say, somebody already has found out. The one that's most important to me. The one that I live for. The one that I really serve. When your business partners and the people you work with and your school teachers and all the different people that come in contact with us, when they see those kind of choices from God's people, when they see a business executive that's given a great opportunity to make a little bit more, but he just have to cheat just a little bit, twist the rules a little bit. When they see a person say no, and even take loss from that, there's going to be a revival in this land. Let's allow the revival to begin right in our own hearts. Maybe some of you face a decision today in politics or business like Dave just mentioned. All you have to do is stretch the truth slightly or accept some money with strings attached and your career can take off. Don't give in. An honest man may be poor, but he can enjoy sweet sleep. The thief robs himself of his most precious possession, his personal integrity. All of us know this. The question is, Will we remember to rely upon Christ in this split second of temptation? Dave has exposed how thievery infiltrates our lives. We don't need more eloquence of the tongue or silver-tongued orators Sunday mornings. What we do need is honest fingers handling the money Monday through Friday in the real world.